So Lord, we, we pray that you would speak to us through uh, your word. That whatever words that I have to say would be words that come from you to your people. Amen. So we are moving to the, uh, the last of the six practices of healing community that we are uh, exploring during the season. And it's, it's really the one that's at, at the heart of it all. It's at the heart of, of healing and the, the, the calling that we have in the church to be ministers of reconciliation. And, um, those, the practice that we're going to be looking at today is, is the practice of, of forgiveness and reconciliation. As followers of Jesus, we know that, that forgiveness and reconciliation, it begins at the cross. At, at the cross, we see that when we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemy, Christ died so that we could be God's friend. Forgiveness and reconciliation. When we look at the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the suffering that he went through on the cross, we, we see and understand the ugliness and the depth of our sin. At the cross, we see that our sin is no small thing. When we see how much forgiveness cost God, when we see the painful sacrifice that was made, we see that forgiveness carries a cost. It carries a weight. At the cross, we see that forgiveness doesn't just mean saying, it's okay, don't worry about it. Forgiveness comes with a cost. It comes with a sacrifice. And at the very same time that we see the cost of forgiveness and the ugliness and the depth of our sin, at the very same time, at the cross, the Lord stretched out his arms and said, I love you this much. Your sin is as ugly as you think that it is. It's worse than you think it is, but I love you this much. At the cross, my heart is laid open. My sin and its ugliness is completely exposed, and God's love and kindness is completely revealed. At the cross, your heart is laid open. And its sin and its ugliness is completely exposed, and God's love and kindness is completely revealed. And this is really hard for us to believe and to accept, because it's... It's sometimes easy to imagine that God loves us when we're doing good. When we're serving Him, when we're being obedient, when we're out there doing the good things that we know we ought to do. But we doubt that He loves us when we once again repent for the thousandth time of that thing. We have a tough time believing that He loves us. Then, in that moment, He loves us. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says this incredibly dangerous thing. He says this, where sin increases, grace increases. Where there is more sin, there is more grace. 
God loves forgiving sin. He loves extending grace. Where sin increases, grace increases. And that's a really dangerous thing to say, right? Because what's the logic? I want more grace, I'll sin more. Wouldn't want to deprive God of an opportunity to do something he loves. Paul says where sin increases, grace increases. And that's a dangerous thing to say because it's a short step in this logic towards more sin. There's this razor-thin line here between life and death. Where sin increases, grace increases. Life comes when we hear this. And we realize and know just how terrible and ugly and deadly our sin is. And realize just how good and big and eternal God's love and kindness is to us. And that makes us run far away from our sin. Death comes when we hear this truth and we spit on love and kindness and treat the eternal glory of God's love as a small, insignificant thing. Where sin increases, grace increases. And Paul knows how dangerous a thing it is for him to say this. In the very next verse, he says, So does this mean that we need to sin so that grace will abound and increase all the more? And of course, he says, absolutely not. But friends, it is the cross where both the ugliness and depravity and death of sin is exposed. And at the cross where we truly know how beautiful and complete and life-giving his love is for us. At the same time, God loves to forgive sin. What I want to say today is that we are called to forgive and pursue reconciliation with others because that's what God has done for us. You and I are called to learn to love forgiving sin as much as God does. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean any more than it meant for God. It doesn't mean to say, that, that sin was no big deal. That's not what forgiveness means. It's not what God's forgiveness for us means. We see that on the cross, and it's not what our forgiveness of others means. Just say, it really wasn't that big a deal anyways. Saying I forgive you to someone who has truly hurt you isn't the same thing as just brushing off the action as if it meant nothing. It's the opposite. It's the opposite of that. It's actually coming to terms with how big of a deal the thing was and still forgiving and saying, I love you. And I want to be in whatever appropriately relationship I can be with you. We'll talk a little bit in a minute about forgiveness and reconciliation and, and boundaries. But... Forgiveness, again, is not just sweeping the thing under the rug and pretending that it's no thing. It's actually seeing the thing and the weight of it and saying, with God's help, I'm going to forgive you. And we're going to walk forward in whatever road towards reconciliation uh, we, can, we can manage with God's help. Forgiveness and reconciliation, these are required practices of a healing community. Without forgiveness, no relationship can survive. Anyone who's been married for longer than a minute knows without 
forgiveness, no relationship can survive. Relationships are messy. Relationships in the church are messy, and the Bible is so realistic about this. There are a couple verses in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 where we hold up the the early church is this like perfect ideal. You know, they're meeting every single day, sharing their goods with one another. There's just these two verses that are just this high ideal that we always pursue. But if you look at the reality of the early church, it was a mess pretty quick. Just a couple chapters later, they are arguing over who's getting um, ripped off in the daily handing out of bread. There's these... Stories in Paul's letters where we don't know all the background story, but we know that there was this conflict between Udaya and Syntyche and Paul and some of his other companions that were on his missionary journeys. We, reading between the lines, see that there was pain and there was dysfunction and there was hurt and there was bitterness between people in the early church. In Corinthians, Paul is furious about the fact that one believer would take another believer to a secular court in order to figured out their differences. And Paul himself, he was not immune to disagreements and bitterness in his own life. In Acts chapter 13, there is this story about Paul and Barnabas and a companion that they had named John Mark, who was on this missionary journey with them. And in Acts chapter 13, it says that John Mark, it's somewhere along the line, that he, that he left them. And it doesn't really say why in Acts chapter 13. It just says that John Mark left them. And it's kind of a matter of fact. But then in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are going to go out onto a second missionary journey. And Barnabas is like, let's take John Mark along. And Paul says, no way. He abandoned us that time. But it makes us think he's not going to abandon us the next time. And it says that Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they both went their own way. And Barnabas took his cousin John Mark with him, and Paul took Silas with him, and they went and did ministry in separate places. <clears throat> the Bible is very realistic about the church. The Bible never paints the church as this perfect place. The Bible assumes, in fact, that we will have conflict with one another. That's why we have the kind of instructions that we do about how to resolve conflict with each other. And Paul tells us, forbear with one another whatever grievances you have with one another. Forgive one another as you've been forgiven. No community, no relationship, no church can exist without forgiveness. And that's definitely true here at Broadway. We are a group of people who get angry with each other. We're a group of people who lose patience with one another. Or a group of people who gossip and slander one another. Or a group of people who sometimes don't act like we love each other. And so, are we going to be a group of people that learns to love forgiving sin as much as God loves forgiving sin? Because that's what it's going to take for us to be the healing community that God calls us to be. And the only true way for you to be strong enough to forgive others is to trust the cross of Christ. And to recognize that there at the cross of Christ, your own sin has been revealed and God's kindness and love for you has been extended. And that's where our forgiveness and reconciliation of other people, it 
It's where it begins. That's the source of our forgiveness and reconciliation. So before we talk more about, I, I want to talk now about forgiveness and reconciliation, how the, the two things relate to one another and also how they're different from one another. They're not exactly the same thing. Forgiveness is something that we do um, in our own hearts towards someone else for some wrong that they have done to us. Forgiving someone is no longer holding that hurt, holding that anger, holding that bitterness that you have towards someone else. It's letting go of that and offering that person into God's hands. And forgiving another person is required as a follower of Jesus in all circumstances. In every circumstance, even if the person doesn't ask for it or admit that they've ever done anything wrong. You are required to forgive. That does not mean that the relationship with the person remains the same as it was before. Forgiveness is a first step towards the road of reconciliation. And as a follower of Jesus, we always need to be ready and willing to forgive. Jesus says if we don't forgive others of their sin against us, God won't forgive you of your sin. That's a pretty bold and very clear statement. In the Lord's Prayer, we are taught to pray, forgive us of our sins as we forgive other people of their sins. As followers of Jesus, forgiveness is required, and if we don't forgive someone, our soul is in danger. The ability to forgive, to let go, to be willing to be in an appropriate relationship with the other person is essential to following Jesus. But this forgiveness thing, this thing that we do in our hearts towards another person does not mean that you need to take abuse, that you need to be a doormat, or that you have to ignore or sweep under the rug something that someone has done wrong against you. Forgiveness is necessary, but that forgiveness is like is like the green light that then allows you to like drive on the road towards reconciliation. Until you forgive, it's just a red light. You can't go anywhere until you've done that forgiveness thing in your heart, and that's then giving you an opportunity to go on the road towards reconciliation. And reconciliation, it's a two-way street. It requires both people involved in the conflict to, to come together and do the work that they need to do to restore the trust that is needed for that relationship. It requires admitting where we were wrong. It requires asking for forgiveness. It requires repentance and changed action. And depending on whatever situation it may be, it may need a lot of repentance and changed action over a long period of time before real reconciliation and restoration can happen. So forgiveness is the green light that says that we can go, and until there, there is forgiveness, the light only going to be red. But once the light is green, once we've forgiven the other person, it's possible then to begin to walk on this road to reconciliation. But that reconciliation, again, it's a, it's a two-way street where both people need to take responsibility, build trust, seek apology, and ask for forgiveness. So we pursue forgiveness and reconciliation because, as I said before, it's because what God has done for us. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read verses 14 through 21. 
Second Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes this, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. The love that was revealed to you at the cross, this is what compels us to do the things that Paul's about to talk about. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We pursue forgiveness and reconciliation with one another because that's what God has done for us. We are following his example. So today... I want to say to you, be reconciled to God through Christ today. Be reconciled to God through Christ today. This is the good news, that the enemies of God can be made friends of God. Right now, each one of us today can experience, can experience this good news in maybe the first time or maybe for the thousandth time, but in a time that's needed again for you, that where sin increases, grace increases all the more. That whatever it is that you have done, when you look to the cross, when you see what your sin costs, you can admit the truth of the ugliness and terribleness of that thing. And the ways that it's destroyed your life, the way that it's destroyed relationships that are important to you. And you don't have to cover over it anymore. You don't have to say that wasn't a thing. That wasn't a problem. You can say it is what it was, and I am still loved by God. And there is forgiveness available through Him. If I will confess that sin, He will be faithful and just to forgive you of that sin. And to draw you into this relationship with Him. A relationship of friendship and love. On the cross, God sent Jesus who had no sin, who was perfect and flawless to become sin for us. That is, to take on the weight and the ugliness of our sin on himself so that you and I can become the righteousness, the perfection of God. This is the great exchange of the gospel. This is the evidence that where sin increases, grace increases more. This is the evidence that God loves forgiving sin. He wants to forgive you of your sin today. If you will confess it and bring it to the light, 
know that it's available to you. Be reconciled today to God through Christ. Secondly, be reconciled to one another through Christ. The Bible tells us that you and I are family. We're brothers and sisters. We're part of the same house. We're going to be spending eternity eating at the same dinner table. This idea of being a part of the same household calls us to pursue reconciliation with those that we are in conflict in conflict with, even if it is difficult and painful. Paul says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. As much as it depends on you. See, Paul, Paul acknowledges that this reconciliation thing is a two-way street. There's only so much that you can do. The other person needs to seek it too. And our responsibility is to seek reconciliation as much as it depends on us. To do all of the things that are required so that reconciliation will happen. And how the other person then reacts to you is entirely up to them and is between them and God. But it is your responsibility as a follower of Jesus to be faithful. That as much as it depends on you, to be open to reconciling with that person. And that's hard work. That's hard work. But here's the thing. A relationship that has gone through the process of going down into the depths of the hard and ugly things, and relationship that has chosen to not cover over the sin or to pretend that it wasn't as bad as it was, but really looked at it and chose to forgive one another and to love one another anyway, that relationship becomes stronger than it was before. That becomes a relationship where two people have learned to be more like Jesus than they were before. It's a relationship where both people have actually seen the ways that their actions have hurt the other person and are committing to not do that again. Conflict is difficult. It's hard work. That work of reconciliation is hard work. And if you're in a relationship like that right now, keep going. Keep going. The relationship on the other side of all of that hard and difficult can be better and richer and deeper than it ever was before. Friends, our, our world... Our world really needs the church to be people who are actively practicing forgiveness and reconciliation. The world needs us to be a community of people who know that forgiveness is required for any relationship to work. A community where reconciliation is pursued and lived out. I expressed to you earlier at the beginning here one of the, the biggest disappointments of this past year for me has been seeing the way that Christians in our country have allowed all sorts of, at best, secondary matters to be sources of division between them. The ways that we've allowed political difference, opinions about a pandemic, 
to be places of division between us. Friends, we've heard about the persecuted church today. They are being attacked from without. The attack that's happening in the church in America is happening from within. We're kicking people while they're down. Rather than kneeling down and mending their wounds. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul begins this conversation about reconciliation by saying, Regard no one from a worldly point of view. Regard no one from a worldly point of view. If you are allowing the world to dictate the way that you view another person, the Lord is calling you to repent today. If you have animosity today toward a brother or a sister because of the way that they voted on Tuesday, or because of some opinion that they have about the pandemic, or because of some opinion they have about whatever the crisis du jour is today, God is calling you to repentance from that. 2 Corinthians 5 says to you, regard no one from a worldly point of view. That is your brother. That is your sister. It's a person for whom Jesus died. We have to commit to refusing to regard people from the lens that the world gives to us for how we should see people. That doesn't mean that we don't talk and have conversations with one another and seek understanding and challenge one another on issues that are important. But what it does mean is that we challenge one another from a place of commitment to one another and to Jesus. That's where we start. I'm committed to you no matter what, because you're my brother. You're my sister. The bond between us has already been made by Christ. Ephesians 2 says that Christ tore down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, between two groups of people who have been killing each other for millennia. And Jesus tore down that dividing wall of hostility. You don't think that he can deal with whatever dividing wall of hostility that you have between you and somebody else. That's a lie. It's been torn down in the body of Jesus on the cross. It's in him and it's in clinging to him that you and me, that you and that other person can be reconciled together. And friends, the world needs the church to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation, not because of these big cultural issues that kind of cause this general unease and anxiety in us all the time. The church needs us to be people who pursue reconciliation and forgiveness in people's concrete everyday lives. Because people are hurting. They're lonely. They're isolated. They're addicted. They're confused. And so the church needs to be the place that both declares and expresses the forgiveness of Christ to lonely, hurting, addicted, broken people. Proclaim the word of forgiveness and to express that forgiveness to them. When an addict comes to the church and receives Christ and comes to the knowledge that their sins are forgiven, the church is then 
that group of people who comes around and places their hands on them and says, we love you and may you now experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus through this community. When the person who is struggling with loneliness or isolation or depression, they experience the forgiveness and the reconciliation that's available in Christ when somebody comes and takes them a meal. I see that you're hurting. I see that you're lonely. May I be a minister of reconciliation to you and caring for you in this pain that you're experiencing right now. It's in the Christian community where we begin to tangibly touch and experience what Jesus has done for us. We experience God's embrace and his care through other people when we don't think we're worthy of it. The church needs, and the world needs the church to be a community of people that practice forgiveness and pursue reconciliation. Towards the beginning of this sermon, I mentioned this story about Paul and Barnabas and this young man named John Mark. And the book of Acts tells us that, that Paul and John, in the book of Acts, we never see Paul and John Mark reconciled again. Uh, their ministry at that time was separate from one another. Paul felt abandoned by John Mark. And I suspect that maybe John Mark felt that Paul didn't have much mercy for him. But there are some wonderful clues in other parts of Paul's letters that the bitterness that we read in Acts 15 was not the end of the story for Paul and John Mark. At the end of the book of Philemon and Colossians, Paul says that Mark was with him. That he was with him. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, one of the very last letters that Paul ever wrote, maybe the last letter that Paul ever wrote towards the end of his life, Paul says this. He's writing to Timothy. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved the world, he's deserted me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Cruscans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke was with me. So get Mark. And bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. This, I don't know when it happened. I don't know when Paul and John Mark reconciled together. But at some point they remembered Jesus. And they remembered both of their desperate need for him at the foot of the cross. And they did both the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation. So at the end of his life, Paul says, go get Mark. I need him here with me right now. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. If we're going to be the kind of community that demonstrates the reconciling work of Jesus to the world, then we need to learn how to do the hard and the very slow work of forgiveness and reconciliation with each other. Lord, we thank you for this picture uh, hidden in between the lines of your scripture, of an example of two brothers who had hurt one another in some way, but through the gospel had been reconciled back together. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us. Lord, that it would be true of this community of people, that we would experience healing 
in our relationships with one another, and through that, healing in our relationship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.